This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. G'day. Hi. Hello. Welcome. Welcome inside. You consider G'day to be good day to be a greeting or a snarky farewell? Because <laughs> like the other day, this is how we're gonna start things. The other day, I was uh, watching uh, a Seinfeld episode, and Elaine um, gets told, "Good day, Miss Bennis," and she says, "Okay, oh, good well, day." Yeah. But like, it's also like a good day, like an Australian thing. That's a greeting, right? If you're gonna throw in the apostrophe, it's automatically a positive. Is that the um, pretentious English version of aloha? Could it be both hello and goodbye? I. I could be. I've never thought about it that way. I, I always think about it. If you if it's the last thing you say, it's because you were storming out of that. Yeah, office. exactly. Good day. And then you smell nope. something. Yeah, down. Nobody ever said like when we hang up from this call and however long it's going to take us to do this now that we've started out this way. I'm not going to say have a good day. Like, I'm not going to say good day, Tyler. Like, I'm not going to say depending unless on how I, this goes. Unless I just infuriate you by the end. Yeah, but if I throw on have a good day, then that's like a positive thing. If it's right, literally just right. a good day. Like if I it's can't just standalone. Yeah. 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 These are the All breaking right. stories. These are the big issues that we need to get people talking about, obviously. See, somebody out there, though, is now thinking to themselves. Exactly. How they when's the last time they said good day and exactly what they I know it. We make you think on the Minor League Baseball podcast, of which this is episode number 122. I'm Tyler Vaughn. He's Sam Dykstra, and uh, we welcome you inside. Got a lot to get to today. Really excited for our guest for this week's edition of the show. Taylor Trammell of the Class A Dayton Dragons of the Midwest League, the third-ranked Cincinnati Reds prospect, will join us. And wherever you found the show before the show podcast, we appreciate you tuning in on Apple Podcasts and the Stitcher app. We're on Google Play as well, and you can find all of our past episodes at MILB.com slash podcast sam strike one we're gonna stick with those Dayton dragons we are gonna go with some breaking news from this past week it's not really breaking anymore but it was on august 4th the longest hitting streak in professional baseball this season came to a finish jose siri the uh dayton dragon star 39 straight games for jose siri his hitting streak comes to a close siri is the 23rd ranked prospect in the cincinnati reds organization it came to a close but it came to a close with a caveat. Jose Siri went 0 for 3 in his team's August 4th game against uh, the Great Lakes Loons at 5th Third Field in Dayton, and it did not come without its share of controversy. Uh, the final plate appearance of that game came for Jose Siri in the eighth inning against right-hander Ryan Mosley. Mosley's first pitch nearly hit Siri in the back. And then there were some contentious things in the rest of that at bat. Mosley ends up walking Siri. Siri has some words for Mosley as he goes down the first baseline. The Dayton broadcasters were incensed on the highlight that we have at MILB.com. Um, what was your take on this? The hitting streak, obviously, we've talked about a little bit. Very impressive. 39 straight games, especially to do it in, in low A ball at this stage in a guy's career where Jose Siri is a very, very young player, uh, still just 22. Really impressive consistency. The way this game to a close was controversial. I want to get your take. 
Yeah, so um, let's kind of walk through exactly what happened. You did a really good job of setting th everything up. And I think what grabbed the headlines were that Mosley didn't really give Siri an opportunity to hit. Like you right. said, the first pitch went like a foot behind him. It was obvious either he had really bad command in that situation or he was trying to hit Siri, not even let him, you know, not even face him. I think it was right. the eighth inning, um, that kind of situation. Um, which is unfortunate. And if that, if that was the actual case, which, you know, neither of us have talked to Mosley, we, we can't tell you exactly definitively what he was looking to do. If that's what he was trying to do, that's reprehensible. Um, you know, uh, we can talk about what it takes to get a no hitter and that kind of stuff with, whether bunting to break up a no hitter, how that kind of works. But when you're actually throwing at a player to end their hitting streak, that's just kind of Bush league. Now that said, so that happened. Well, if it, it was one pitch. I think both sides were warned. It's the way it kind of goes. Here's what happened after that. The next pitch, Siri actually tried to bunt. Uh, didn't right. get all of it. I think he bunted it foul. The next was a ball inside. Not crazy inside, not behind him, not anything, just a ball inside. The next pitch, at the, so the fourth pitch at the bat was a swing and a miss on a slider outside. The fifth pitch, and this is what really gets me, was like a breaking slider. It was right over the heart of the plate that Siri fouled away. Right. Um, you know, he might have been sitting fastball, might have just gotten ahead of it, whatever. It was a really good pitch to hit. It was a so, pitch in the zone. It's a hittable pitch. Right. Um, the sixth pitch was a fastball up and away. And the one that I think really started the both sides coming out and started Siri jawing was the fact that the it was a full count and the final pitch was about two feet outside. It was not a hittable pitch by any means. And when it's 3-2, you expect at least to be close to the zone. Uh, so it seemed in that situation, again, Mosley kind of taking things into his hands, saying, listen, I'm not going to let you get the hit. I'm going to walk you um, by not throwing it even close. And or if you are going to swing, it's going to be something you roll over. Great Lakes won that game 4-2, to two, so it's not like it was this game was out of hand and Mosley's just putting a guy on because it's he's inconsequential. I mean, it's a close game, too. Right, for sure. Um, so it, 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 there's more nuance to this, like pretty much everything in life. There's more nuance to this than necessarily – uh, you know, initially I felt like it, it was a travesty. I would love to see Siri hit in that situation. Um, I would love to see him get to 40 games. What's kind of made it worse is in the three games after his 0 for 3, he's gotten a hit in each of those. Um, so we can sit here and wonder how long this streak could have possibly gone, et cetera, et cetera. Um, is the, if you watch the video for everybody who has, or if you haven't yet, you're going to watch it. You're going to hear the broadcaster say, this is a terrible thing. It, it, it reflects poorly on not only Great Lakes, but their coaches, their manager, all of the Los Angeles Dodgers organization. I think we can kind of pump the brakes a little yeah. bit on that. I don't think Farhan Zaidi was sitting uh, in his office in L.A. like, we got to snap this Midwest League hitting streak. Yeah. Call me crazy. Like this is Yeah, Dave Roberts puts in a call, and he just wiggles <laughs> four fingers. And just like, you know over, what to Over do. the phone, over FaceTime. Over FaceTime, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's incredibly – um, unfortunate. And do I think Mosley could have handled it better? Absolutely. I, you know, I, there, there is very small doubt in my mind that he was probably trying to send a message with that first pitch, but he's a class A pitcher. They don't have really great command. Um, so to throw it behind him, like he did was one thing. If he really wanted to send a message, he would try to do the, the same thing in the second pitch or the third pitch or whatever, or they could just literally just walk him. That's an opportunity that they have now. Uh, they didn't do that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, do the does Dayton have a gripe? Fine. That's, you know, they want to protect their player. They want to help a guy who 
is repeating a level and is doing a lot of really good things in a year, uh, you know, in a year he really needed. I get that. It's fine. Um, but let's not vilify Great Lakes completely uh, over one at bat. You know, Lord knows Siri had plenty of other at bats in that game to in which he got a, could have gotten a hit. It didn't work then. Um, let's not hold them to some other standard just because it's his final one in the eighth. I uh, My off days are Friday and Saturday, and this happened on Friday night, so I didn't get a chance to watch the video until Sunday morning, and I was talking about it with Kelsey Hennigan, one of our writers at MILB and friend of the podcast. And um, the first thing that I said upon watching that video, the first thing I said to Kelsey was, there's way more to this story than just what this video shows. And I was talking about it later with a, a scout for an organization who has watched games in the Midwest League this year, and his take was, is that there's a a reputation that Jose Siri has among Midwest League teams that there was a shtick that teams felt got old as this hitting streak went along. And he pointed me to the video from the night before when Jose Siri doubled in the eighth inning to extend his hitting streak to 39 games. At the time, Great Lakes was up 15 to nothing over Dayton. And it was the eighth inning. He hits a bases clearing double, but he flips his bat, which we all know unwritten rules of baseball. Certain people hate that. I love every bat flip in the world. I'm not going to get mad at Jose Siri Ford. But then as he gets into second base, fist pumping, hands in the air, all that kind of stuff. Maybe that was something that sort of pushed Great Lakes over the edge. Uh, there was also another incident the night before in which Dayton plunked Great Lakes' Cody Thomas after he hit three home runs. So maybe that. That fueled a little bit of this feud. Um, in any event, get a guy out with your best stuff. I mean, that's the way you should end a hitting streak. Make him go 0 for 4. Get him out by getting him out. Don't pitch around him. Don't try to drill a dude in the back. That is Bush League. That I will very much say. But I will also say that you can't watch a two-minute highlight of that at bat and think, oh, this is ridiculous what Great Lakes did, nor do I think you can indict the entire Los Angeles Dodgers organization <laughs> over this at bat. I think there's a lot more that goes into it uh, than probably what we saw. Does that justify it? No. Um, but in the heat of moments in competition – People do dumb things sometimes. And maybe it was just as simple as the fact that Mosley couldn't get a 3-2 pitch over for a strike. That's possible. That's very possible in the Midwest League in Class A ball. Um, but there's a lot more that goes into it than just what you see in that highlight. But it was interesting, and the reason we're spending so much time on this, it was interesting to see other players around baseball weigh in on this. Brent Honeywell tweeted at Jose Siri an entire note that he had typed up on his phone in which he basically – came to the defense of Siri. The note actually said, quote, Jose Siri, if you see this, congratulations on setting the record. And of course, Brent Honeywell, one of the top ranked prospects in the Tampa Bay Rays organization, a former Midwestern leaguer himself, Midwest leaguer himself. Um, he continued and congrats on a strong year so far. And I'm sorry the way your streak ended last night. The way it ended was classless and not fair to you. Honestly, that's almost as Bush as it gets. That just lets you know he didn't have the stuff to get you out anyway. Finish out strong and start a new streak. And then he signed it. And I like this. He signed it honey which i didn't know um but it was interesting that there were players who had their own thoughts i think the thoughts that will uh be outwardly expressed are those that it was a cheap way to end it i don't necessarily disagree with that i think there are a lot of thoughts behind the scenes of uh maybe there was more to this than just what happened in that at bat that plate appearance i should say yeah. since it's not technically an yeah event. right Right. Yeah. And I think that's something that we can kind of bear out here. We also have the like 
not only being far away from the game, right? Um, but also time-wise, we're a little further away. Yeah, I know we have the benefit of hindsight for sure on this. Yeah, my initial reaction was that it was re- reprehensible. I think I still think it is. I I think he should try to throw over the plate. You know, be the guy who right. ended the street. I totally agree. Not, not with a walk. I totally agree, um, and that's where I think Brent Honeywell hits the the nail on the head. Get a guy out with your best stuff. Don't don't end it that way. If you're not confident enough that you can get a dude out, eh, probably shouldn't be pitching in professional baseball anyway. Yeah. Right. So. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the the season kind of plays out for Siri, how how it kind of goes from this. Like I said, he's had hits in his three games after that offer, so it doesn't seem like it's affecting him too bad. Um, but, you know, he was somebody who certainly put himself on our radars uh, with the consistency he's shown here in the second half for Dayton. And uh, I'm sure that's, you know, now that this is all kind of behind us and it's a nice highlight to watch and something we can discuss for a little while, um, hopefully we're talking about him in, in some other fashion uh, a year from now as he's climbing the ladder through the red system. It gives us good fodder and podcasts are nothing without their fodder as we are away. Strike two this week, Sam, we're getting close to postseason play all across the minor leagues and uh, teams are heating up in playoff races. Of course, we crown first half champions and second half champions in a lot of leagues. There are also leagues in which we're playing through to the finish line, AAA Pacific Coast League, the International League, the Eastern League is that way where teams are going on their full 140 plus game run to try to make it into the playoffs. There are a lot of really, really talented rosters across the minor leagues right now but the weird thing is some of those rosters look entirely different than they did in june when a team won a first half title or in april when the season started who are you watching right now as far as playoff teams to watch go yeah so um i did this for this week's tool shed on wednesday um so when you guys are here and this has been out for a couple days um but there are certain teams that i think that we've always kind of talked about and some that are like you said, Tyler, changing in kind of very interesting ways. Um, one that has kind of been very consistent um, that really popped up on my radar. I mean, they've been there all year, but really significantly. So uh, yesterday on Tuesday when Isaac Paredes hit, had a two-homer game, he's a guy who came over from the ti- or from the Cubs to the Tigers uh, in the Justin Wilson trade along with Alex Avila. Uh, is the West Michigan Whitecaps at Class A uh, in the Class A Midwest League. This is a team that already won its first half title. It had a 672 winning percentage in the uh, in that. And now they sit five and a half games, excuse me, they, they sit two and a half games up on Fort Wayne in the second half, but they are 32 and 12 in the second half with a 727 winning percentage. This is a t- team that could realistically finish the year with a 700 winning percentage over the first half and the second half. The fact that they have been this dominant with a team that's, Constantly roster turning over. Guys are, are in Class A advanced Lakeland now. They add a guy like Paredes. They added Matt Manning, who was the top Tigers prospect in that system. Uh, you know, After he had a dominant run at Class A short season Connecticut, he made his debut on Monday. Didn't go especially well, but he's definitely a guy who learns from his mistakes and improves over time. Uh, really looking forward to seeing what he does there. Derek Hill is still there, who might be one of the most exciting center fielders to watch, at least defensively in the in minor league baseball right now um so the whitecaps are kind of marching toward history not only are they trying to get a second half division title they already have the first one they're already going to be in the midwest league playoffs that doesn't matter um seeing them trying to go for a 700 winning percentage 
is just kind of astonishing, and especially doing it with fresh names. Um, so they're one team. Uh, Class A advanced Dunedin is, is going for a division title in the Florida State League. Um, that team is fascinating for reasons many of you already know, but I'm going to say them anyway. Uh, teenagers Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette are now with that team. Um, any team they're on is going to be interesting to watch, but the fact that they're playing meaningful baseball uh, is really fun. Uh, one that I, I think could be really fascinating, and I'm sticking at a lower level here, is in the South Atlantic League with the Hagerstown Suns. Right now, they're locked in a tie in the Sally League Northern Division with Hickory. Uh, neither team won the first half title, so this really means something for both teams. They're both trying to go for a postseason spot. Hagerstown could be interesting because they have two guys who could potentially come back to them in the second half of this month uh, who were first-half standouts. And by that, I mean Carter Keeboom and Juan Soto. Uh, Keeboom, you might remember, uh, was hitting 333 at the beginning of the year with six homers and a 984 OPS in 29 games uh, until he pulled a hamstring, had a really bad hamstring injury when he was running to first. That knocked him out in May. Uh, he has not really been back, or he has not been back with Hagerstown since, uh, but he's currently rehabbing with Class A short season Auburn, have been rehabbing with, in the GCL before that. Uh, he looks well on his way. Getting his bat back in the lineup would be a huge boon for them. And also Juan Soto, who is now the number 42 overall prospect, um, slides in right behind Victor Robles as the number two prospect in that national system. An incredibly gifted hitter. Uh, we've seen that at the even lower levels before this year at Hagerstown. Um, he had surgery to remove a hamate bone in his right hand in late July. He had some other injuries before that. He was on the comeback trail from those. Uh, Byron Kerr of Mass and Sports uh, reported, though, that despite the hand surgery, he could still be back in a couple weeks. So if, the, if we're looking at late July, he could potentially be back in late August. If the Suns are still in a playoff race back then, by then, um, not, not only the fact that they would have Keyboom and Soto in the middle of that lineup is, is fantastic, but if they do make the postseason, having those guys ready, having them healthy and having them especially well rested, um, you know, they're not grinding down towards the end of a long season. Like some of these other guys, uh, could be really, really big for them. Um, so I'm fascinated to see if those guys are going to come back in time and what kind of impact they can have down the stretch run here. There are a lot of really good playoff races uh, across minor league baseball. And Tim Haggerty, who is the radio voice of the El Paso Chihuahuas, just tweeted uh, a few minutes ago, quote, imagine the chaos of a three-way tie, no wild cards in the Coast League. The PCL Pacific Southern Division right now is Salt Lake at 59 and 57, Albuquerque at 57 and 59, two games back, and El Paso at 56 and 63 games back. So that's why people major in math, so they can figure out tiebreakers. I was not one, <laughs> I was not one of those people. Lord knows. <laughs> That's when we all become Zach Galifianakis with that like math gif. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> with the numbers flying around from yeah, we're all just staring around, being like, "This is gonna make sense in a in a second here," <laughs> um, until somebody magically tells us exactly how this all works. We'll try to figure that out. Hopefully, it doesn't come to that. Yeah, hopefully, it doesn't uh, come to that because I'm yeah. not gonna be smart enough to explain it. So that's all on you. Strike three this week, Sam. We are okay. getting close to season-ending award time across minor league baseball as well, and we have a really good race underway for the Joe Bauman Award, which is the the top home run hitter of a domestic-based minor league circuit. We have 11 players within five home runs of the lead, and we'll focus on the top five or maybe some other names that you think are intriguing in this race. Renato Nunez of the Oakland Athletics Organization has 30. He is the leader through 106 games of the season for him. 
in the Pacific Coast League with him. Nunez in Nashville. Christian Walker of the Reno Aces, the Arizona Diamondbacks AAA affiliate. He has 29 homers. Then in the AA Eastern League, Michael Chavis, 28 homers. Back in AAA over in the International League, Reese Hoskins, who last year was a contender for the minor league home run title, has 20, uh, 28 homers as well for Lehigh Valley. And a guy we talked to on the podcast just last week, Willie Calhoun, combined between Oklahoma City and Round Rock has 27 a lot of dudes bashing a ton of homers, 11 guys with 25 or more. Who are you keeping an eye on in this race? Yeah. If I had to pick a favorite right now, um, you know, I would love to say Nunez just because he's the leader and that would probably make me, it, it, it's likely that he would take it just because he has this advantage over all these other guys. Um, but I think I would take Walker and a big reason of that is that he plays his home games in Reno. You know, back when I did the triple a park factors, Reno is one of the best hitter parks you know, in a hitter's league, um, you know, for the PCL, uh, it's it's not as hitter-friendly as it maybe once was, but it is still very hitter-friendly. Uh, you know, looking back on it over time, um, it's, it's like the third most hitter-friendly park in terms of runs behind Colorado Springs and Albuquerque. Uh, home runs, it can be a little bit more fair on, but Walker is definitely a guy who's taken advantage this year. And just looking at their schedule the rest of the way, they've got games in Las Vegas, which we know is a hitter's park. Um, they've got, I think, let me count this up real fast, eight straight games back at Reno, another three-game set at Las Vegas, a four-game set at Albuquerque in the uh, in the elevation. So Walker has a really good opportunity in front of him, and he, you, know, he, you don't get to 29 homers at this part in the season by accident. He has certainly turned it up. He's taken advantage. Uh, of the the PCL hitting environment. Nunez has done so as well. I mean, they both play in the same league. Nashville doesn't necessarily have as good a hitting environment uh, as Reno does. And the fact that Walker's not only playing there, but playing in other places that can be home run friendly, I think that definitely gives him an advantage. Um, Look at the other guys on the list that you mentioned. Chavis. uh, You know, I really like Chavis. I think he's had a, a spectacular year. Uh, would not rule out him winning this either. I don't think he has necessarily the environmental uh, advantages that Walker or Nunez do. Hoskins, I love Hoskins' power, and that would be kind of a great story to see him win the Bauman Award after he fell short against teammate Dylan Cousins last year. Um, but there are rumblings already going on. Maybe by the time you hear this podcast, he could be up with the Phillies in the majors. Uh, he's gotten some time at left field this week. Yeah, one of the other contenders in this race is J.D. Davis, who just got called up to the Astros. He's got 26 homers. He's also in the in the hunt. Right. So the fact that there are so many AAA guys here, uh, you know, the, the scales could kind of be tipped in that way. You know, they could be called up at any moment. The big club could sit, decide, you know what, yeah, you're ready uh, for a major league look, and that would certainly hurt their um, Bauman Award candidacy, not that they're going to ever complain about that. Um, so, I can't go up, yeah. guys. I'm sorry. I'm in the hunt yeah, for no, this I've ballot a, award. Yeah, I've got this award to win. Um, Walker, again, in a point in his favor for this, not in general, but for this, uh, he was outrighted off the 40-man roster at the beginning of the year. You might remember he was one of those guys who was passed around to many different teams. Uh, started with the Orioles. I think he was with the Reds at one point. Uh, ends up, anyways, in the D-back system. He's no longer on the 40-man. It would take some, you know, roster gymnastics to get him back on there uh maybe they do that at the end of the season let him finish out his time at reno see what he can do see what kind of big numbers he can put up um but if i were 
to kind of handicap things right now, I still feel like he's the favorite, even though he's one behind Nunez. I'm going to go a different route. I'm going to go the podcast bump and say our guy, Willie Calhoun. Yeah, that would, that would be fun for the us. TSBTS bump, man. That's my only reason. I'm not going to give like actual reasons. I'm just going to say like, no, this is a dumb and kitschy thing to say. So there we go. No, I mean, Willie, you know, uh, PCL hitter friendly, not the most hitter friendly. Obviously, Christian Walker kind of has that over him, but still it's, uh, it's a distinct possibility. You just get that. It would be fun. Energy it would from be... being on the minor league baseball podcast. Right. Well, not only that, but just the, the storyline of him. And he really has taken off since he joined round rock. Yeah. I mean, he's done especially well in, in, in the home run department since going there. I know a lot yeah, of Rangers fans are very excited. Six games. Yeah. And the fact that he's playing left field and as he mentioned to us, he feels comfortable out there. Uh, he's handling the, you know, the position move full time much better um, than maybe we would have thought he would. A um, lot of things going right for him and, and to, to see him go on such a charge as he is on now, finish out August, maybe take this, that would be really fun. Um, but the fact that he is what he's three behind, uh, Nunez and behind four others in that kind of chase, I think has him a little bit behind the eight ball, but yeah, if he wins Tyler, we'll, we'll figure out something special to do for your uh, predictive power. It might just be involving like buying me a Powerball ticket. Maybe one of these days I'll finally get one of those Ben's biz shirts. Maybe yeah, there be, we go. Maybe that'll be my reward. Ben doesn't know about this segment, <laughs> but now he owes you one if uh, Willie Calhoun wins. Yeah, absolutely. We just volunteered one of those away. Uh, strike three this week, Sam. The final minor league baseball all-star game is coming up. It's kind of weird to still have a conversation about an all-star game. Actually, this is a foul ball. We already had strike three. Ignore me. I don't even <laughs> I don't even know what's going on in the podcast that I host and produce. Um, but the uh, New York Penn League all-star game is coming up on August 15th. It will be hosted by the Tri-City Valley Cats, and rosters are out for the 2017 New York Penn League All-Star Game. Give us a breakdown. Yeah, <clears throat> so there are really two guys that I've really got my eye on uh, in this game. Uh, Jalen Ortiz is a Phillies prospect. He's a ranked Phillies prospect, only 18 years old, won't turn 19 until November. Uh, he's a guy who's got, <clears throat> excuse me, already has plus power. He hit eight home runs last year in 47 games in the GCL, um, what was a, a pretty special uh, Phillies GCL team. Uh, playing alongside Mickey Moniak and I think Cole Stabby was on that team and a couple other guys. Um, so he's standing out once once again uh, in Williamsport. He's got seven home runs in 37 games this year. He's got an OPS of 938. Uh, he's slugging 543, kind of continuing along that path. Uh, again, only as a teenager at the Dominican Republic. His first two seasons have both been stateside, which is really cool to see. They didn't put him right in the DSL. Um, the fact that he's taking off the way he is and to be rewarded in this way could be interesting, um, especially with his you know, power package. You know, he'll probably be swinging for the fences anyways in a game like this, in a showcase like this. So he could be a lot of fun to watch. And another guy I've got my eye on um, is not necessarily a big time prospect. He was only an 11th round pick uh, this year out of NC State. But I feel like anytime I'm looking up N NYPL stats, uh, New York Penn League stats. Whenever I say NYPL, I want to say New York Public Library. Uh, New York Penn League stats. I feel like he's popping up in some ways. Evan Mendoza uh, in the St. Louis Cardinals organization. Um, he's been playing exclusively third base this year, but he's hitting 371 with a 429 on base percentage, 553 flogging percentage. Uh, got plenty of extra base hits, got 20 of those in 40 games for State College. Um, really starting his pro career on a, on a solid note. He, he'll be heading to Tri-City for that all-star game for the New York Penn League. 
And I'm just going to be interested to see, you know, as a guy who's, who's starting out his pro development this well, um, again, not really that highly thought of being an 11th round pick out of college, um, probably should be doing fairly well, but not necessarily this well. Uh, what can he do in a game like this and, and what can he use do to it to kind of propel him forward? Or will the Cardinals decide once he's been honored in this game, is he ready for a new challenge? Lots to watch with Evan Mendoza. But uh, those are the two names I kind of kind of got my eye on when the rosters were announced earlier this week. The 2017 New York Penn League All-Star Game hosted by the Tri-City Valley Cats coming up on August 15th at Joseph L. Bruno Stadium in Troy, New York. That'll do it for three strikes on our one foul ball for this week's edition of the show. Coming up, we're going to head to the Midwest League, the Dayton Dragons. It's where we find Taylor Trammell, who will talk about his 2017 season, his first full pro season out of high school in Georgia, taken in the competitive balance round of last year's Major League Baseball. First-year player draft is breakout debut season. We'll ask him about Jose Series hitting streak. We'll ask him about a whole lot more coming up next. Cincinnati Reds organization and the Midwest League's Dayton Dragons, where we find our guests for episode number 122 of the Show Before the Show podcast. And that's the third-ranked prospect in the Reds system. It's outfielder Taylor Trammell. Taylor, welcome to the show. An off day in the Midwest League. How are things going in the, nearing the midway point in August? Uh, this is going well. Um, you know, it's beautiful weather out here. Um, you know, having fun, and uh, it's been a great season so far. It has been a great season. 107 games played so far this year in Dayton. 281, 362, 443, the slash line for Taylor, who is 19 years old in the Midwest League. Not an easy thing to do at 19. Not an easy thing to do in your first full season in pro ball. Um, and let's start there. Drafted last year, uh, competitive balance round pick out of high school in Georgia. And this is your first full season slog. 140 games, April to September. It's it's a grueling season, and everybody talks about it that first time through of just what an adjustment it is. Obviously, you got a little bit of a taste of that last year in Billings, but to do it now for this full stretch of a season, how has that been so far for you, especially now when you get to August, it's kind of the dog days. You start feeling really tired, I would imagine, from day to day. Uh, not as bad as most people. Uh, I, I kind of uh, had a, uh, a further um, imagination of it, but uh, for the most part, you know, I feel well. Uh, the only thing, there's some days here and there, you know, where, you know, I'm a little bit tired than usual, but um, for the most most part, I feel you know stronger than ever, and uh, you know I just I think uh, kind of my diet um, and uh, just going out there and uh, playing every single day helps me get a routine. So it's not as bad as uh, not as bad as I thought. And how did you kind of prepare for this coming? I feel like we talked to a lot of guys during the off season. You know, after they're drafted, they say, "Okay, you know, I'm preparing for this, but I won't know until it's here." Now it's August. Um, looking back on what you did to kind of prepare for this season, you mentioned your diet. Uh, what kind of work went into making sure you would be able to last a full season healthy uh, as you kind of have to this point? Uh, well, I cut out all the pretty much the bad stuff, um, bad sugars and stuff like that. Uh, eating a lot more uh, protein, um, a lot more vegetables uh, before the season. I really do need vegetables. I think the only thing I really ate was my mom's green beans, but uh, for the most part, uh, you know, I, um, um, you know, I'm, I'm starting to eat uh, a lot, a lot healthier foods. Um, you know, starting to stretch more, uh, stretch a lot more, uh, so my legs and my bites doesn't get tight. And um, yeah, um, just you know, just uh, taking on every day, um, staying on a consistent workout program, and uh, you know, taking um, taking care of my body pretty much. 
Well, it does sound like you've been pretty well prepared, but what has surprised you maybe the most about this first full season now that you are playing every day, playing through a summer, going into the fall? Um, what's been the most su- surprising thing about full season ball? Uh, just the pitching. Um, the pitching is uh, a lot, a lot, uh, a lot better here. Um, uh, you know, it, you know, guys have uh, better stuff, um, better off speed. Um, you know, just uh, harder pitches, and uh, you know, I've had to work, um, work continuously with my uh, uh, batting coach uh, Daryl Ward. You know, just uh, like you know, finding a routine, uh, finding what works for me, and uh, just. Pretty much, you know, uh, getting prepared for, uh, you know, everything like that. And as the season's kind of gone on, just kind of looking at your numbers, it seems like you're getting more hits as the season gone, is going by, but also maybe your extra base hits are kind of coming down. What kind of adjustments have you made as the seasons roll along, as, as you're adjusting to that pitching and seeing more and more of it on a daily basis? Uh, just not missing my pitches. Um, you know, early on in the season, you know, um, you know I, I love hitting fastballs. Um, so uh, early on in the season, I, you know, I felt you know I missed a lot of a lot of my pitches early on in the count. So um, in the second part, of the second half of the season, you know, I took it. Uh, I took him. I've taken pride in you know just uh, you know attacking, um, not you know waiting back in the count. Um, you know, if I see my pitch, I'm going to attack, um, be more aggressive, and uh, you know, just like I said earlier, you know, just uh, taking my uh, taking advantage of my bats. Taylor, one of the things that comes along with the Sam noted some uh, additional singles over the last couple of months that provides you some additional opportunities on the base pass. And last month in July, you have a spike in in stolen bases. You swiped ten bags last month, and so far for the season, you got thirty one steals, caught stealing only ten times. Tell us about your your approach, your philosophy as a base stealer, because so many guys we hear so often now that it's a lost art. Nobody knows how to steal bases anymore, which I think is a misnomer because there are a lot of good base stealers in the minors. What does that come down to for you? Uh, just, you know, trusting myself, um, you know, looking at the pitcher, you know, seeing what he's doing, um, and, you know, just trusting myself. Um, you know, I, you know, when I steal, I don't think, you know, oh, this guy, he has a good move. You know, I, I feel confident in my reaction uh, if a guy picks over. Um, I feel confident, you know, that, you know, if I steal, uh, you know, that I'm going to get to the back. Um, I'm going to be safe. Uh, I don't worry about, you know, getting thrown out or, you know, uh, getting picked off. The uh, only thing I have in mind is, you know, just get into that base as fast as possible. One of my favorite things in the uh, MLB pipeline write-up of Taylor, who is the 77th ranked overall prospect in minor league baseball, is this line, which is uh, in reference to the process of coming out of high school, and it refers to Taylor as, quote, actually a baseball player who played football, not the other way around. So often it seems like we hear about guys who they're football players and they sign and play professional baseball because it's money that was offered to them coming out of high school, whatever it is. It seems like the narrative so often and is presented that baseball is the afterthought for guys and football was really their passion, but it presents itself as an opportunity. But for you, it's not that way. Take us through what it was like being a, a two-sport athlete and how you think that description applies. I, I felt, you know, my all, all the time I've, uh, since I played football, you know, I've always seen, you know, somehow in some way it's helped me with baseball. Um, not, you know, just going out, um, you know, playing football, you know, I have to make quick reactions. Uh, I played running back. Uh, back in high school, and you know, I always had to make quick reactions, you know, uh, stop and cuts and every stuff, or all that stuff like that. But you know, I, I took it um, my junior, 
I think late, later in my sophomore year and uh, starting my junior year of uh, baseball uh, in my high school, you know, I took advantage of, you know, just thinking about, you know, when I get ready for a pitch, you know, that's like it helps me out with my reaction times, uh, you know, cuts, you know, in the outfield, you know, um, acceleration and stuff like that. You know, um, so, you know, I think, um, you know, that, like I said earlier, um, you know, football really, uh, you know, helped me out for baseball. And, you know, baseball is my, you know, number one love. But, you know, I took a lot of uh, pride in, you know, playing two sports and uh, just uh, being able to play uh, both, you know, to the best of my ability. And, you know, coming from Georgia, um, you know, coming from anywhere in the South, football is obviously going to be king in the fall. But um, what made you fall in love with baseball first? I mean, you say you saying you use football to help with baseball. But at what point did you did baseball become the number one sport for you? It came became my number one sport um, probably midway through my sophomore year of high school. What about what happened in that moment where kind of made you decide that? You know, I was, I, I remember vividly, you know, I was, I was just sitting in bed and, you know, I was just looking at, you know, baseball clips, um, and I was looking up Dexter Fowler, you know, I was just looking up, you know, what he was doing and, uh, how he was playing the game. And, uh, you know, he's another two sport guy. I think he played basketball also, um, basketball and baseball, but, you know, I, I was sitting at home and I was just like, you know, this is, this is a game I love, you know, I, I could go out there every single day and play baseball like I have, you know, this past year, and I love it. Um, and, you know, football, it was fun, but, you know, it was just one of those things where it was like, uh, you know, I got to go to practice now, you know, not feeling, not, not really feeling it today. I didn't have that, you know, that, that love, that drive for the game. And, you know, now, you know, I go out every single day for baseball, and I'm like, yes, I get to play another single day, and I get to play, you know, I get to compete uh, every single day of baseball, and uh, you know, just, it, it's just that uh, it's just a love for a game. Uh, I don't know what really spiked like spiked it, but you know, I I I just love it. You know. Yeah, no, it definitely comes across that way. One other thing I kind of wanted to ask along those lines is Tyler asked you about your base stealing abilities before. Um, you know, everything you read about you is that you are incredibly fast. It is your best tool on baseball right now. And it must have been the same way when you were running back in high school. Um, but speed is something I feel like it can't be nec- it can be improved, but it can't be taught in the way that some of these other things can be. When did you first know you were just that fast or that much faster than your peers? and that you could really take advantage of it no matter what sport you were playing? Wow. Um, uh, that's, that's a good question because I, hmm, it, it happened in high school, um, probably my, like I said, my junior year. Junior year was a big year for me. That was the year that, you know, I, I kind of got in the groove of, you know, this could be something, this actually will be something that, you know, I would want to do, you know, for a career at um, some point. And, uh, yeah, just going out there and, uh, you know, my high school coach, you know, he always taught me, you know, just looking at little things just on the base pass. You always have your head up, never look down at the ball, uh, never look down when the ball's in play because, you know, some guy could miss, miss a ball and you could take that extra base. So uh, probably my junior year of high school, I thought, I, I think that was when, you know, I figured my speed could really help me and it's helped me out you know, throughout this season, actually, with uh, taking extra bases, you know, if a guy lobs the ball in or something like that, you know, 
you know, trusting my instincts and trusting myself, um, just, you know, going out there and, uh, you know, just uh, performing the best of my ability and letting my speed take over. Taylor out of high school in the uh, state of Georgia, which is a baseball hotbed. And what we've seen over the last five, 10 years in the major league draft is I feel like we've seen this explosion of guys who come from the prep ranks in Georgia. Last year's draft alone, Taylor was taken with the 35th overall pick and was the fourth high school draft pick of the first round out of the state of Georgia. Uh, the three others, Tampa Bay took Joshua Lowe out of Pope high school in Marietta. Cleveland took Will Benson out of Westminster high school in Atlanta. Washington took, took Washington to Carter Keepum out of Walton High School in Marietta. What was that like? I mean, playing, you guys are playing not at a, you know, a professional level in terms of competition, but better than a, an amateur level, it would seem like. I mean, the, the competition that you went against in high school, what was that like for you? And how do you think that prepared you for what you saw in rookie ball and getting into this year? It's, it's absolutely phenomenal. Um, you're playing against those guys, uh, all the guys from Georgia, um, you know, last year we went to the East Coast Pro Showcase, and uh, you know, I saw, I met most of those guys there, and it it was amazing. You know, just getting to know those guys, seeing all the talent that they had, um, whether it be pitching or hitting. Um, you know, those guys are awesome. Um, it was it. We all had a sense of you know, this is a competition. You know, we're, you know, we're battling for you know, you know, a draft slot pretty much, and uh, you know, but we never really. We never really saw it that way. Um, I feel, you know, we all have, you know, this type of, you know, friendship where, you know, we can call each other up or, you know, we can see each other on the baseball field and, you know, we all have respect for each other. You know, um, a few weeks ago, you know, I I played against Josh Lowe. Um, he's an amazing guy. Uh, him and his brother, they're phenomenal guys. You know, we went out to eat, you know, had breakfast when we played them and, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, we respect each other and, uh, you know, when we play our best, it makes each other better. So, uh, that's how I feel about, you know, the competition that we had last year in Georgia. Um, great, great, great group of guys, um, that went in the draft and, uh, you know, that's all, that's all I really can say about those guys. Great guys. Taylor, let's switch gears, talk a little bit about um, this season. Dayton in the news a lot lately with Jose Siri's hitting streak, which ended at 39 games and uh, was one of the biggest storylines of minor league baseball all year this year, came to a close on August 4th. Just give us your reaction to, to what it was like watching that streak from day to day and the way it ended. We talked about it a little bit in our first segment today, somewhat controversial. What was that like from your standpoint, you guys as a team, but more all-encompassingly, what was that like watching Siri put together almost 40 straight games worth of hits? It was quite impressive. Um, it was, I think, later on um, during that stretch, he had, um, you know, we were like, goodness gracious, he's going to get the hit, you know, like, you know, just anticipating everything. And, you know, I think he came down to like three or four times where it was like to his last out and his last pitch, you know, or last strike. And uh, it, it was impressive, you know. Um, uh, that, was, that was really impressive. Um, you know, when it came to an end, you know, we were upset, um, things happened, uh, you know, we had a benches clearing, uh, altercation or something like that. But, um, yeah, like I said, that, that was impressive. Um, you know, we hate that it ended, but, you know, he had a, uh, he had a great attitude about, you know, the whole thing, um, in the, uh, in the locker room, we all went over and congratulated him and, uh, you know, that, that's just uh, 
it's it's really tough to do uh, to have a hit streak like that, and uh, it brought a lot of uh, a lot of great publicity to um, our town of uh, Dayton, and uh, you know just the Cincinnati Reds organization, and he he should be very proud of himself for what he's done. Well, we'll we'll end this on uh, a note, putting it back on you. You know, Tyler mentioned earlier before. Now you're the number three prospect. Uh, according to MLB.com, in that Reds organization, you're up to number 77 overall. Um, you know, how does it feel to to come into this year, put in the work that you have, um, you know, perform as well as you have, but not only that, be kind of recognized. I don't know how much you read this, or you know, it depends on the player. Some guys do, some guys don't. I don't know where you stand on that. Um, but to be recognized in your first full season as one of the budding talents in the minors. You know, how does it kind of feel to to see that recognized uh, this early in your career? Uh, it's, it's a blessing. Um, you know, I really don't look in too much on that. Um, my, the only reason I know some of the stuff is because of my dad. Um, he talks to me about it. Uh, he'll tag me in a post here and there. But, you know, I you know, I try not to worry about that. I just try to, you know, go out there every single day and play to the best of my ability. Um, you know, I want to look back one day. Uh, you know, hopefully when it's 20 years in the majors or, you know, however long, you know, I just want to look back and say, you know, I gave it every single thing, every, every single thing I had every single day. Um, I don't want to look back and say, you know, I wish I would have, uh, you know, done this a little better. I wish I would have hustled a little harder. I just want to go out and play in my best ability, compete every single at bat, every single at pitch. And, uh, you know, just like I said earlier, um, go out there and uh, have no regrets on the field. All right, Taylor, got one more for you. You play in a very unique environment in terms of minor league baseball in that Dayton has fan support like really no other organization in professional sports. As of the end of the 2016 season, the Dayton Dragons had sold out 1,188 consecutive home games. 1,188, which with 61 this year would be 1,249 consecutive home games dating back to the year 2000. The next longest streak in professional sports, the Red Sox sold out 820 from 2003 to 2013, so 400 more than that. What is that like? Because we don't see that in so often in the minor leagues that we'll see teams with great attendance and that type of thing, but to pack a ballpark every single night for 17 years is incredible. <laughs> it's it's impressive. We uh, it, It's kind of weird because I think we kind of get spoiled um, a little bit because we go out there every single day and it's like, you know, just uh, like say if it's like the start of the game or something like that, and we don't see as many fans, we're just like, what's going on today? And we look at the dates, you know, is, is it a Monday, is it a Tuesday, is it a Wednesday? You know, it's like, oh, it's midday. You know, not a lot of guys are going to be here. And it's crazy to see, you know, first pitch packed. Um, it's it's really impressive. It's great to have fans like that um, at the games. Um, the fans are absolutely phenomenal and the great part about it is that we're i think we're only like 45 minutes away from cincinnati so there's reds fans there also and uh you know like like i said it's, it's just one of those amazing environments you know you get up in the bottom of the night you know game on the line and you make that big hit and you're like let's go you know you run around the bases you're like all right this is this is amazing and you hear the crowd cheering and stuff like that and then you you know, make a big play out in the outfield and you hear the crowd roaring. It it catches you off guard at first, um, when you first get to Dayton, but I'll tell you what, that's that's let me think, let me think sorry, one second. 
Yeah, that's easily the best playing surface, best crowd atmosphere, and the best you know overall experience I have ever been a part of. That is pretty awesome. It gives you it <laughs> gives you goosebumps just hearing about that. the yeah. The idea of doing that in the ninth inning or making some huge play. I mean, we don't you don't often hear that as it pertains to just a regular season game in the minor leagues in June or something like that. That's pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> Taylor Trammell is the 77th ranked overall prospect in all of minor league baseball via MLB pipeline and the third ranked talent in the Cincinnati Reds organization. Go follow him on Twitter. He is at Taytram24. And Taylor, we can't thank you enough for this, spending uh, part of your day off with us. And uh, congrats on all the success so far and best of luck the rest of this season. Uh, thank you guys so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Like your favorite television show back from summer hiatus, Benjamin Hill returns to the show before the show podcast. Welcome back, pal. Hey, it's good to be here, Tyler, and it's it's good to be sitting here next to you, uh, Sam. I almost, <laughs> you for, almost I, forgot. I almost it's forgot your name. It's been that long. <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to call you something else. I wanted to call you Yan Jervis Salarte because that's the name up on your um <laughs> on your computer screen right now, and I forgot your name wasn't Sam. I know. Yeah. Sam easily mixed up. Yeah. Sam was his parents thought about going with Jan Harvest and then they decided to go with Sam. Yeah, that was the title of the email today. Sam always sends a clever email with the the episode number. This one today was very in depth, and I would imagine there was like a decent amount of time on Baseball Reference. Uh, well, maybe not a decent amount, but it's today. It's Jan Harvest Alarte has 122 total bases this season because it's episode 122. That was a clever one. That was a good one. Thank you. Thank you. I like it's it. good. Oh man, we're off to. I don't a want to take away from Ben's segment. <laughs> yeah, we're way off. To a roaring off way off to a roaring start. This is about missing me, and now we're talking about <laughs> your guys' inside this email subject you leave, lines. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I don't let's get in between you. I mean, <laughs> well, let's get into it. Ben spent uh, a long time driving around, really sort of a local trip as we were talking just before we started uh recording today it wasn't uh, you're not jetting off to the the west coast or tooling around the midwest or anything kind of got to stay around uh the northeast but hit a bunch of eastern league stops some carolina league stops um and a lot of stuff that's come out of this trip already yeah and a, and a lot more to come um yeah as, as i was saying to you guys before we um got on the air you know, I grew up in Ambler, PA, in the Philly suburbs, and uh, went to college in Pittsburgh, and now I've lived in New York City for almost 15 years. And, um, you know, I'm trying to get everywhere, and I certainly like visiting teams in the Northeast, but I'm not sure if I prioritized that region when other choices were available because it didn't feel, you know, like psychologically to me like going on the road. So I was really overdue to do a, a, a more local trip by my standards, by, you know, according to where I'm from and according to where I live. Um, so this is the only road trip I've been on this season in which I didn't uh, fly anywhere, just rented a car from New York City, made some very poor choices in terms of the location of the rental car place in relation to where I had to go. You know, it it was not, I didn't, I should, I was driving north. I should have rented a car somewhere north of me, and I did not do that. And uh, both on the way in and way out, uh, I got destroyed with uh, New York City traffic. But it gives me the opportunity to listen to Hot 97, uh, you know, New York's like well known hip hop station, and their playlist. They play like the same 10 songs, and then you really get a sense of like what the songs of the summer are. So I was grateful for that. Silver linings in in everything. Um, That's pretty good. Anyway, yeah, it's great. we can talk about those songs. Well, we don't have time. We got too many things. Um, <laughs> well, let's end of list. Moving on. Well, and yeah, you got to start that, at that, least that, that, that uh, Khaled song with Rihanna. That Wild Wild Thoughts is all over uh, the place. Okay. Wild Wild Thoughts. See, that's exactly how it goes. Yeah, yeah. Um, now we have to pay licensing fees. Yeah, 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 I know, I know. And it wasn't. Cardi <laughs> we don't have the rights B- to this song. Is Cardi B? That's that's awesome. I really turn it up. She comes on anyway. Um, 
So I started in Binghamton. I drove from New Yeah, at least you got to stay in the same state. I mean, you didn't pick it up in the most convenient location, but at least like you were sort of generally headed that way. Oh, right, right. So I I drove from New York City. I made it to uh, Binghamton, New York, and I hadn't been there since 2008, a very embryonic stage of whatever it is I still do now. And uh, so it had been a long time, and obviously the big story with the Rumble Pony, with Binghamton this year, is that they were the Mets for the first 25 seasons of their existence, and um, now they're the Rumble Ponies. So, Which, by the way, the the B-Mets logo, now that it's dead and gone and buried – was the worst in minor league baseball. So I'm um, they they took a step up. That logo, it was like a it was like a character out of Mega Man. That was what that yeah. logo looked like to me. Yeah, it was it was Sorry. not great. Sorry, Bingham. And um, you know, tied in with, you know, just kind of bad local uh or bad uh, logo, you know, a name that was just the parent club, you know, the the Binghamton had been last in attendance for years and years, always on the, you know, chopping block or purported to be, you know, in terms of some sort of relocation. But uh, John Hughes uh, bought the team um, last year, I think before the 2016 season. And now he's overseeing the rebranding. And there is definitely uh, a new energy there. Um, The Rumble Ponies branding, you know, the, the name is because Binghamton is the carousel capital of the world. And um, I, I am of the belief that the Rumble Ponies really need to get a carousel into the ballpark in some way, shape, or form because that's where the name comes from. But the Rumble Ponies branding is all over the ballpark. You know, the sign just says, Welcome to Rumble Town. You know, just every, you know, every seat back, every uh, tabletop, you know, the office chairs. So it is very much it's not just like the players have a different logo on their hats or something yeah the restrooms you've got the if you're a man you go to the stallions if you're a, a woman you go to the mayor's room not mayor's like a politician but a horse like an m-a-r-e-s so everything saddle up for fun it says when you enter the restroom because when i enter a restroom that's definitely what i'm always <laughs> thinking like time to saddle up for some fun here and um but they i think they've done a really good job revitalizing the team uh, really committing to the name and the branding and it certainly didn't hurt that i was there on a beautiful friday night in july you know the near sellout fireworks afterwards literally you know i just got back from the pioneer league in june Literally the most beautiful sunset I've seen this season, maybe ever, at a minor league park, Binghamton, New York. You know, so that can yeah, be one of those locations people insane. say, like, yeah, it was beautiful. So people say, ah, oh, Binghamton, you know, they don't draw well, 25-year-old stadium that just kind of blah and boring and didn't really, you know, incorporate the the features that be, that became standard within just a couple of years of that stadium having been built. It's easy just to look at that as just kind of like, ah, oh, Binghamton, who cares? But you go there, great energy. Um, all around the ballpark, um, done a real, real good job with the Rumble Ponies name, and uh, yeah, a beautiful sunset. So that that was excellent. And there's a story up on milb.com that I wrote last week about a man named Eden Douglas who was an, uh, a mascot in Australia um, for rugby and a, a variety of different sports, and uh, ended up moving to Binghamton because he got married, and now he is Rowdy, the horse or the pony in Binghamton. So I wrote a story about him. So that was Binghamton. You know, we got a lot to talk about. I got yeah, to move, move faster. Yeah. I got to move faster. We're going to move faster now. Yeah. Um, next up was Hartford, right? Next Which up was Hartford. New, new park. and uh, Yeah, seeing how that all kind of came together. Right. After a couple months, does it seem like they have all the kinks out from your point of view? Yeah, Hartford, I mean, talk about kinks. Well, not kinks, but, you know. Um, you know, that stadium was supposed to open last year, as we all know. So such a dark cloud over that franchise before they even played a home game. And it was remarkable. 
here in late July, I was there on July 29th and 30th, that you wouldn't have known anything ever went wrong there. I've rarely, if ever, seen so many fans wearing gear of the hometown minor league team. People are into the yard goats. It reminded me a lot of El Paso, kind of similar situation. Uh, really controversial stadium that was delayed in opening, a team name that, you know, that, that initially was met with outrage. And then when the stadium opens, people really buying into it with a lot of pride. And it's a beautiful facility. You know, it was built below grade. So when you're walking, you know, to the stadium, it doesn't look like this awe-inspiring location, and the area around it is not too built up. It's you know, there's some streets in the area that are just kind of weedy and not much going on. Then you enter the ballpark, and it's like, bam! One of the nicest ballparks in all the minor league baseball. A lot of cool architectural quirks, uh, great fan energy, as I was saying. And uh, you know, they had an extra year, but regardless, you know, the front office staff did a great job in uh, so far. You know, with a difficult situation and making it a real welcoming and inviting place. There were real live goats there on the Sunday afternoon. I was in attendance. Chompers is a great mascot. My designated eater had a DDBLT. You know, it's Dunkin' Donuts Park. So the DDBLT is a Dunkin' Donuts uh, BLT, bacon, mm-hmm. lettuce, and tomato. But uh, things going real well. I'm working on a story that will run on this Friday, uh, just an overview of the park. And there will be more to come with that on the blog for sure. Then I went to Wilmington. Yeah, Wilmington. Wilmington's always been a good food ballpark, but this thing, the Sweeney Dog, a hot dog topped with bacon and raspberry jam served atop a glazed donut bun. That's like, I would, I would wreck that thing. That sounds amazing, <laughs> and it would wreck you. Yeah, yeah I mean, true. That's been a yeah, pretty it's probably popular, the other way around. It's been a pretty popular item with them over the last couple of years. It's named in honor of uh, former Blue Rock uh, Mike Sweeney, you know, who went on to success with the Royals. Um, but when I was there in in uh, Wilmington, and I think they might have been motivated by my visit to kind of put this together. It was a quote celebration in honor of Mr. Celery, you know, the iconic, mysterious mascot who emerges <laughs> um, onto the field when the Blue Rock score run to the tune of you know Blur's song number two, you know, woohoo and all that. Uh, so he's become this like cult figure in Wilmington through the years, and the team brands so much of their things around the stadium, uh, around Mr. Celery. And I was there on a celery bration where when people were walking into the ballpark, uh, team employees would give fans as they walked in celery stalks for the world's largest celery snap that took place right after uh, <laughs> right after the national anthem was sung. And uh, they had a celery bar at the game, you know, with where you could choose uh, various dippings for your celery. Um, I interviewed probably eight or ten people about the origins of Mr. Celery, and uh, uh, I still got to put that together. It's going to take some time, but a pretty interesting story and uh, how such a bizarre thing. You know, the story is basically there's variations, but they found this, you know, costume in a dumpster or what have you, and just kind of started it as a lark, and now it's a huge part of the franchise, the Celery Man in Wilmington, Delaware. So a lot see, more and that's so funny there. because in the Carolina League, that's like a it's like an urban legend. Like people in the Carolina League, that story sort of went around, and yeah, it's like oh, they found it in a dumpster, or somebody a touring group came through and they put a promotion on, and they forgot this costume or something like that. And it's like a very weird. It's got its own phenomenon around it, and it's a very strange but really cool, very minor league thing about that franchise. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what is more minor league baseball than just a team, you know, kind a team of called uh, the Blue Rocks, but their mascot is a piece of celery. <laughs> yeah, I mean, their their official mascot is uh, Rocky the Blue Moose, 
um, Rocky Blue Winkle. Rocky Blue Winkle, you know, <laughs> instead of Rocky and Bullwinkle, you have Rocky Blue Winkle. But Mr. Celery is a cult hero there, so a lot more to come uh, from Wellington. Just a great energy that whole night. My dad was in attendance. Shout out to Greg Hill. And um, looked super pumped to be there, by the way. Well, he was, was a very happy picture. He was. He was a happy dad. He was sporting the Ben's Biz shirt and uh, uh, rocking a Mr. Celery hat as well. Yeah, he just bought it. He like he had literally <laughs> just bought it. Yeah. Um, so then I went to from Wilmington. I went to Frederick, and uh, I just never been to Frederick ever. And you know, for living in New York City, it's not that far away. I just never made it there. I was there. It was a uh, Tuesday night, I believe. It was a fairly deadish atmosphere at the ballpark. It, it wasn't popping the way some of the other locations I went to were. Francis Scott Key, you know, composer of the national anthem and the man for whom the Frederick Keys are named, is buried across the street. So when I got to the ballpark, I just had this naive idea that I could just sort of pop over and check out the grave. But the ball, but the graveyard was like, I'm going to estimate, but it looked to me to be about like 400,000 acres and it was closed, so I couldn't get over there. Um, and at the Frederick Keys game, I uh, interviewed Alex Katz, uh, a pitcher for the Keys. Um, you pitched on Team Israel, who has a cleat customization company. He started with a friend who was traded. This is you know baseball in the year 2017. And Sam, you know more about these things than I do because I know almost nothing. But yeah. traded for international bonus slots. Right. Yeah. The Orioles uh, for, are notorious for not willing, not being willing to spend on the international market, um, and would much rather trade that money or other players that they see as being established minor league wide. So uh, Katz is one of those guys. They're much more willing to, what was it you got in there? $750,000. Well, it's interesting. It was like $763,000 in bonus slot money, right. but that saved the White Sox double that because they were getting some like overage charge essentially. Right. Yeah. Right. They were going to have yeah. to go above their, their slot to sign some of those guys. So by getting, by getting rid of cats and getting that money, um, they can put that towards the international players they want, and the Orioles get a left-handed relief prospect in, in return. Yeah, so it's kind of – I said, like, what's that like, you know, to be traded for slots? I mean, like – and he said, you know, that means I'm, I have value. You know, I felt valued when that happened. You know, I saved a team over a million dollars. Like, that means I'm – someone feels I'm worth something out there. Right. And I know it's kind of a hard way to judge yourself, but that's the reality of minor league baseball. You know, he's like a 25th-round draft pick, not somebody who's uh, – you know, looked at as a top prospect, but someone who has some potential. Interesting guy, you know, maybe 5'10", 5'11", left-hand, you know, left-hander. He said he grew up, you know, grew up in Long Island idolizing Billy Wagner, and you can see why. You know, he's a, he's a, for a professional pitcher, he's definitely on the short end. Um, but smart guy, a passionate guy, really happy to talk, so I got a feature about him, and uh, it's cool talking to Alex Katz and Frederick. Talk, uh, check that out at MILB.com. Uh, I went from there to Reading, which is just Reading, Pennsylvania, baseball town. The fight. Yeah, you went from Rumble Town to Baseball Town. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and just so much energy in Reading. It's truly one of the premier organizations. Everyone seems to know everyone, and uh, you know, you talk to anyone, and you're like, oh, that guy was my high school baseball coach, and that picture of that guy on the wall over there, he was like my great uncle's like teacher. Like everyone just seems to know each other. There's such an ingrained spirit of like community and camaraderie there, and a real like carnival atmosphere every night. Uh, I talked to uh, Tom Hunsicker, the father of GM Scott Hunsicker, who's 67 years old, a retired Stroman's uh, bread truck driver, uh, who is still suiting up his mascot change up the turtle every day you know at age 67 so anytime you say something in minor league baseball like oh this is the best newest funniest craziest you know someone else will say well no it's not but i think he, this guy's the <laughs> oldest mascot <laughs> the oldest mascot in minor league well, baseball. that's the challenge now we need yeah, to find next we'll hear from mascot. like right. yeah is idaho it? falls actually has a guy who fought in world war one who will that'll be what we'll hear next 
that's definitely what we're going to hear next. <laughs> um, but so talking to Tom Hunsaker was great. There's a story on uh, MILB.com about that. Much more to come on the blog about Reading. Uh, really cool uh, atmosphere all around. You know, I could just go on and on about all this, but I'm trying to keep it brief. And then finally ended in Altoona Curve, where there's a uh, Tyler Mon plaque as you walk in, uh, in recognition Worst of the broadcaster ever. That's what it says. If, if you see Mon, this man, worst, please tell him to go away. Worst Altoona <laughs> Curve employee in franchise history. Yeah, that's what the plaque says. But you, you, you know, better to make a negative impact than no impact at all. That's Tyler. true. <laughs> um, so. You know, I was in, and I hadn't been in Altoona for for quite a while. Um, and uh, always good to be back in Curve, PA. Um, the Cowboy Monkey Rodeo was there. First time I've actually been at a ballpark when that's going on. I mean, I know we're on the radio or a podcast, so no one can see this, but Sam will note and confirm I have a little like a uh, little scab, a little yeah, a little wound a, on my thumb. Definitely some damage done. Yeah, that's because I was bit by a white throated capuchin monkey. What? <laughs> Did you get your shots? Like. Are we okay to be in the same room? Yeah, do they have to like or... put the monkey down. What happens with that? I don't know. I just wash my hands. They did not. <laughs> they, they did not. They did not put the monkey down. But this is between. That's good. We have an outbreak of Marburg virus in Chelsea Market. We'll know why. Yeah, I did. I mean, I might be a threat. I'm sorry, but um, yeah. After <laughs> they were going to do their first bit on the field in the middle of the third inning, so I went out there with some team employees to meet Tim Leopard, the uh, the guy who runs uh, the Cowboy Monkeys, and just meet the animals and. You know, I think his name was Sam. I think his name actually was Sam. Um, my monkey, you know, he reaches out his hand for me and and just it seems so sweet. And I'm just like holding his hand. And then like he just like pulls his hand into it, pulls my hand into his mouth and bites down. And I'm like, oh, man, like I'm getting, <laughs> this bit, is uh, yeah, I'm right getting bit by a monkey right now. Um, <laughs> so that that happened. Um, you know, there was it was it was a night of emotional extremes. I got bit by a monkey. Um, uh, yeah, I, I did a story. I'll get when that story runs, or when my uh, I did some interviews, and when uh, that runs, we can talk about it next week. But there's a little history of when the monkey bit Ben. Is that what yeah? No, no. I had I had other interviews, other stories that were very different in tone from Cowboy Monkeys, uh, Designated Eater, uh, eating a curve burger and some pulled pork nachos. Um, I was in a blindfold in an in between inning contest. In a between inning contest, it it just it was a good way into the trip. It was a very wide ranging night, and the curve scored ten runs. And we were saying this before uh, you know we officially started this segment, but. And uh, those of longtime listeners, of which are many of this podcast, might remember the team theme songs episode. I think my favorite of all the team theme songs is the Curve uh, theme song because uh, it was written by like Eastern Europeans who'd never seen a baseball game before, literally. <laughs> um, yeah, that's not like, a joke. That's that yeah, is true. Like baseball, everybody loves Curve baseball. Double A Eastern League baseball. <laughs> you know, it goes like that. And then you know, the next line is, we know you'll agree. Yeah, we know you'll agree. Ask ask our fans. <laughs> we know you'll agree. Ask our fans. Oh, I'm it's having like so PTSD awesome. flashbacks now. That, that was between well, episodes 54 and 55, by the way, if you want to go back and find it. it yeah, yeah. special edition. Yeah, I don't know what kind of time you have, but maybe you can end my segment with a little clip of that song, Tyler. <laughs> I don't know if you have the time, but that'd be pretty cool. Pretty cool if you did that. You know, make that happen. Right so. about now. Yeah, yeah, right about now. Because I think we're we're coming to an end. I've had a lot to talk about. I missed you guys uh, last week. I was just traveling, and I just just missed the opportunity to talk to you. Two weeks ago, it was right before the trip. I, I played hooky. I just took a day off from work, and uh, played hooky in the coolest way possible. Though. Yeah, I had a great day. I played handball. I threw a boomerang, and then I went to see Tom Petty in Forest Hills. It was a great day. That is a pretty uh, good day. Summer, um, summer in New York City. Anyway, I could go on and on. I have so much to talk about, always. But I feel well, like and I, coming I, up on I, your I, next I, trip, 
one of the highlights of the year, the eclipse. Yeah, and I got another trip in nine days. I'm feeling a little overwhelmed right now. But uh, I'll talk to you guys next week, talk to you yeah, about so more. Yeah, week, I'll be right? here the next okay. week. I'll talk more about this trip I've been talking about on this segment, preview the next trip. And uh, after that, then I'll be on the road the week after that. And then after that, things will slow down a little bit. So that's all I got. You guys have anything else for me? I've monopolized I too think much. You no, know, I think you got it. It's like, been outstanding. We were fully caught up on the last two weeks now. All right, cool. And I've said this before, but... um. You know, when I meet people at the ballparks who just stop me because they know who I am for some reason or designated eaters, uh, more and more people say, you know, I first uh, heard about your work on the podcast. So I think this podcast is making connections. Everyone who's listening to this who uh, reads my stuff now because of the podcast, thank you. Keep reading. Keep listening. Uh, This is a, you know, I don't want to call it grassroots, but I'm building things up one fan at a time as you guys are. You know, we're not deluged with supporters, but everyone we get. Uh, means it really means a lot. Say hello to us. Get in touch with us. I'm speaking and for you guys. Thank no, you it's okay. No, please yeah. do. On behalf of all of us, I apologize for the song you're going to have to hear to close out this segment. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because here it comes. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, guys. Baseball. Everybody loves through baseball. our closing segment as short as humanly possible this week because i feel like it's been a great show and the more i talk the higher the likelihood i screw it up (laughs) so we're gonna keep it snappy and not at all because you know yeah we've gone pretty long this week but long in a good way yeah yeah no it's been fun today sam what are you watching on milb.tv all right so um I, i we mentioned brett honeywell before standing up for for jose siri but he's actually done a really really impressive job um, since the beginning of July, I think um, he's really done a good job of finding control. Uh, he hasn't allowed more than two runs in a start um, since the end of June with Triple A Durham. I think he's slated to go this Sunday uh, against Scranton Wilkes-Barre. That hasn't been announced yet, but kind of reading where the Durham rotation is kind of setting things up. Uh, it seems like he'd be pitching that game. Uh, Scranton Wilkes-Barre, certainly a, a solid lineup to be going up against, uh, especially in that outfield, Jake Cave. Uh, has been having an especially great second half, as has Billy McKinney. Um, there's some questions about what they're going to do. The Yankees with Clint Frazier, is he going to be back with the Rail Riders soon once Aaron Hicks gets healthy? Uh, they'll kind of have to figure that out on their own. But Honeywell, uh, Futures Game MVP, um, again, a guy who's really seemed to figure things out here. It seems like every passing start is a potential major league audition for him. Um, the Rays keep saying he's not necessarily an option right now, but they are in a wild card hunt. Uh, as well as a division hunt in the AL East. Uh, he is their best prospect arm. He is looking more ready with each coming start, so you'll get a chance to see that. Probably Sunday, if it's not Sunday, maybe even next Tuesday before we record, but kind of keep an eye out for when Honeywell's next going um, because the way he's going, you never know when he's going to pop off with uh, some zeros and potentially double-digit strikeouts. 
forgot to turn my uh, mic off, so you got to hear my dog say hello by shaking her collar. So maybe that's our glitch for the final segment. Um, but good <laughs> picks. Good picks. I'm going to go to the uh, Carolina League in the Class A Advanced Carolina Mudcats, the affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers. That roster is loaded. They are uh, playing at home against Lynchburg on Thursday, if you hear this then. Then they're on the road to Myrtle Beach, where they will have three MILB.TV games over the weekend. But that team, they're loaded with ranked prospects. A couple of guys who are sort of trending in opposite directions uh, as the season gets late. Uh, Lucas Ursig, who had a fantastic June, a 326 average and 825 OPS, slumped in July, 230 average, 718 OPS. August has been a tough start, uh, but a guy who put himself on the map really this year with a really good stretch in June. We'll see if he can get it going um, toward the latter stages of August and uh, headed into the early days of September. Um, and also Monte Harrison, the outfielder from Lee's Summit, Missouri, former University of Nebraska wide receiver commit. Uh, Monte Harrison's had a really, really good um, late summer surge in August so far, a 296 average, a 10 25 OPS. Yes, it's only six games. He's got three homers in the first six games this month um, and a really, really fun, talented, uh, athletic, very tools oriented outfielder who a little bit raw early on in his career, but now getting close to his 22nd birthday. It's actually tomorrow. Um, a really, really fun player to watch who is starting to come into his own as a, a pro ball player. So um, keep an eye on that Carolina team because they are a lot of fun in the Milwaukee Brewers organization. And uh, I think that'll do it. Yeah. I think that's it. That'll we'll do get it. out of your ears now. We will. We've been in your ears plenty today. Big thanks right. to Taylor Trammell. Again, you can find Taylor on Twitter. He is at TayTram24, T-A-Y-T-R-A-M. And uh, big thanks to Benjamin Hill for gracing us with his presence for the first time uh, in three weeks. It was good to, good to talk to him. And a big thanks to you, most of all, for tuning in. He's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mon. We'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.